one of my first television hits was on Valentine's Day, and they labeled me a love expert because oh. I talked about. Wow. <laughs> Lee Carter, a love expert. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're listening on a smart speaker or website, make sure to find me on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, and Stitcher. We're momming today with Lee Carter, new mom. Yeah. President of Ms. Lansky and Partners and author of Persuasion, Convincing Others When Facts Don't Seem to Matter. Lee, you're also a familiar face for our Fox News and our Fox business viewers. And uh, congratulations on Thank the baby so and the book. Much. That's I'm, a lot coming out at once. It's a lot coming out at, at once. I have a, a five-month-old and my book came out last week. So trying to manage this process has been kind of crazy. I said it's the year of the bees, a book and a baby. Um, and I don't think I had any idea what I was in for with either one because they're both are, are significant amounts of work in different ways. First book? First book. First book, first baby. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it's been, I mean, having a baby is the most extraordinary experience of my life and getting to know what it's like and getting familiar with just the most basic things that you didn't even know. It's, like what? I didn't realize how much personality these little people had. I had no idea that every day was going to be as amazing as it was. I had, you know, everybody talks about how much work it is and how hard it is. In the early days, they're sleep deprived and um, you don't know what you're doing. And they don't have any reason because they cry and you're trying to figure it all out. And so I was prepared to be overwhelmed and in over my head and... I was scared, frankly, because everybody talks about how hard it is, but few people really talk about how amazing every moment is. That's you know? interesting. And, you know, when you're preparing, when people are preparing each other, like, oh, sleep now because you're never going to sleep again and all of those things. And I didn't, you know, well, sure, it's all true, but it's also the most extraordinary moments of your life. I mean, you're sitting there in the middle of the night. It's just you and your baby girl, and she's holding onto your finger, you know, and you're feeling, looking at that baby hand, and it's just all so precious, and you're you just so thankful. front seat to watching nature grow, experiencing this wonderful thing. It's like nothing. I, I mean, it's, it's the biggest gift of my life. But it is a full-time job, and you also have a full-time job and it some is. other jobs. So how does this, like, all work out? <laughs> how, do all the, how do all the pieces of the puzzle sort of come together? You know, the, the thing is, um, you become so much more efficient than you've ever thought that you could. And I think we know the value of a minute in television because I remember when I first started coming on TV, it was like, oh, you've got seven minutes till you're on. I was like, I have no hair and makeup, people. Like, come and help me. <laughs> oh, like, but they can do it in two minutes. Oh, they can. <laughs> I mean, anything can happen in seven minutes on television. That's a lifetime in television. Yep. And what I realized in the five minutes that it takes for me to microwave and sterilize the bottle, the things that I can get done in that five minutes as far as meal prepping, getting things ready, you become incredibly efficient. Every minute matters so much more. When the train is delayed 10 minutes, that's 10 minutes that I don't get with my daughter. When people are small, making small talk and not efficient for a while and you're like, look, this is my meeting time. I need to get out of here so I can get home. You become so much more efficient. And that's I think true. that's a big change that happens. I think there's an expression when you want in the workplace, if you want the job done right, give it to the mother. Give Absolutely. it to you know, the, the busiest mother, the woman with the most kids in that in that office because she's gonna know how to get it done. Because yeah. that's what we do. And it's it's I take it very, very seriously, my responsibility about being efficient and finding some kind of a balance in the workplace because I'm the first woman in my company to have a baby um, in the thirteen years that I've worked there. 
Are we've you serious? Had, we've had men that have had babies. I'm the first woman. I'm the president of my company. And I, I take it very seriously because we're also 70% female. And I want women who work with me to feel like they can do it all, that you can work and that you can have it. So I am really taking my role seriously, and I'm trying to do it very much out loud so that when I'm making trade-offs, when I'm saying I'm being more efficient, I'm saying it so people know that I'm doing this and it's okay for them to do it too my in the draw, future. My jaw is like on the floor right now. Mm-hmm. So, so for instance, let's go to breastfeeding. When you need to pump because your body is telling you it is time to get this milk out of me, um, when that would happen to me, I would quietly, mm. on an unannounced break, not confirmed break, not approved, I would just go into a quarter and, you know, corner and get it done. Are you raising your hand and saying, I'm going to do um, a pumping break right now? Yeah. No, it's, it's on my calendar, and people can see my calendar. So the one thing that is great, my, my CFO is a mother. She came in. She didn't have the baby while she was there, so she has children. And so we, we have a mom's room, a mothering mm-hmm. room where I can go and milk. And I do. I have it on my calendar, and I let people know because there's a, there's a woman in, in my company right now who's pregnant, and there's other women I, I hope get to experience this as well, and I want them to know that this is all part of life, and we're going to make it work for you because it's just so important. It's about time. It is so much about time. I mean, I'm older having my first baby. So I remember talking to some of my friends who would go back to work and they're sitting in bathroom stalls trying to pump and, you know, hiding it and not doing it with pride that you're able to come to work and take care of your child at the same time. And I think it's amazing that we're living in a time that we can do this. I couldn't agree more. I think things are starting to change now. Um, Having said that, do you feel that you're getting the support from your company and the men in your life as you're raising your baby? You know, the thing that I think is is interesting, right? I'm absolutely getting the support I need from my company. They've been amazing. Um, But I think much like I didn't fully appreciate what it was like to be a mom until I was one, I don't think anybody else can fully understand what it's like for women going through this either because – there are so few things in your life that are a transformative moment where everything changes. And your whole life, you might think it's the moment you get married that your whole life is going to change. That's nothing compared to the moment that that little child enters into the world, however they enter the world, whether you're adopting them or you're having them. But your life is forever altered. Your perspective is forever altered. Most perspective-altering things that happen to you are somewhat tragic. You know, it's a loss of a parent or a loss. But this is the moment it absolutely changes everything, and no one else can understand what's going on inside of you if you don't share it with them. And so I'm not saying the burden is on us to share it with other people, but I don't think that people fully can understand the transformation that you've gone through without you saying it. Do you sit back and say, wow, I wish I could have apologized to that person because I never understood what they were going through at that time because I didn't have that experience? Oh, gosh. Like if you could talk to your old self, what would you say? If I could talk to my old self, I would – I was – Frankly, I mean, I didn't know that I was going to be able to have children. I'm, I'm older, having having my first baby. And I would get jealous of my friends who had babies. And I don't think I was the best friend to my friends as they had babies. And I would reach out to them and say, hey, I'll stop by. And if they didn't reach out back to me or I would sort of take things personally. And what I didn't understand is those first few months, how incredibly lonely you are and how you were not going to ask for help because you're just surviving. And I don't think I was a good friend to my my friends who have children. And I have apologized to some of them saying, I don't think I fully appreciated what you went through. Here I'm thinking that you're, you know, you had a baby and you got your marriage and everything's great for you. And here I am still alone or unable to have a child or whatever it was in those moments. And I just don't think that we fully appreciate the support that women need in those early days. I want to talk to you about the book, but I have a couple more questions on this first. 
Maybe it's because we are a little bit older. You know, if we could rewind or just go back in time and be have had a better understanding of what new mother's life was like now now that we're there. That's a, a tremendous point. Do you think, though, you are able to mother so well and to balance this whole work-life thing now because you've you've had your career? You were established? Yes. I think there's no question. I also think I appreciate every moment. Right. I wanted this so badly. There was nothing I've ever wanted more in my entire life than this little baby girl. Mm -hmm. And so for me, there that is my priority. And it's very, very clear to me. I think other people who who don't, um, you know, you know, frankly, some people it's it's an it's I'm not going to say it's a mistake, but they have unexpected, you know, pregnancies. They they weren't planning it. They weren't waiting for it. And it happens and it just disrupts your whole life. For me, this was like my my moment. You wanted it. You I wanted, wanted it more to than disrupted. I wanted it to be disrupted. And there are so few things in life also that when you get them, they're actually better than you thought they were. And this is one of those things. So I want to just take every single moment and experience it and treasure it. And I don't want to speed up time. I want to savor it. You're so. also the stepmother to a teenage boy. Yeah. And yes, I think I that am. comes in handy here because your book is called Persuasion, Convincing yes. Others When Facts Don't Seem to Matter. The Art of Persuasion. Yes. Um, but what do you mean facts don't seem to matter? We're in a post-fact world? Yes, we're in a post-fact world. Now, the thing is, we're saying that this is the truth, that this is new. It's not new. Behavioral science teaches us that facts don't really matter when we're making decisions. We pull out the information that supports our existing beliefs. You see it when you argue. You see it when you're arguing with your spouse about trying to get something done. They have they pull their proof points. You're going to pull yours, and they're not going to agree with each other. And both sides might be true. Just having facts doesn't make you right, and it doesn't make you connect. If you want to persuade, you really need to find that emotional connection and really engage with that other person, understand underneath what's going on. This is, like, great for every argument I get into with my husband. But <laughs> It's so true. Is it, is it more a matter of being persuaded by their set of facts because they, they've, um, they've suggested, they've proven to me that their set of facts is more convincing than mine? Or is it wanting to compromise? In some ways, I think that the thing, to me, the key of all persuasion um, is, is empathy. And we're living in a time where we, we are not an empathetic culture, we're <laughs> not, not an all. empathetic society. If, if I try to tell people that the way to persuade someone is through something that I call active em- empathy, mm-hmm. I'm usually met with outrage, disgust, and like, you want me to agree with that person? So say I'm talking to some Democrats and I'll say, look, you're, you're not going to win by calling Republicans racist. That is that is a bad idea. What you need to do is get understand understand why they believe what they do, and then speak to that truth. And they're like, "I'm not going to have empathy for those people. They're racist. They're terrible people. That would be agreeing with them." And I said, "No, no, no. Empathy is not an endorsement. Empathy is taking a break and getting curious and understanding why that person behaves what the way they do, believes what they do, and acts the way they do. It's just it's." It's underneath it all. That's what it's all about. And, and and until you understand the person you're trying to persuade, you're never going to be able to do that, especially in these hard political issues. But also, even if you're trying to get a raise, if you're trying to advocate for yourself, you need to put yourself in the shoes of your boss. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I tell this to, to some of my my mentees. It's like if you're going in and you're going to say, I'm going to advocate for myself. And look, I've been working harder than I've ever worked. And 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 I deserve more money. Right. Okay, you might have a a, a good boss who's going to say that's great. But what if instead you said, well, what does my boss need to know? 
that my hard work is leading to something bigger about the company. What is what are they concerned about? They're concerned probably about efficiencies, cost savings. They're uh, navigating all of these things. Is the person ready? Do, or am I going to make the company look good? What are they trying to achieve in the long term? So I would tell people to put yourself in the shoes of your boss and say what's most important to you. So if you came in and said, listen, um, I'm really excited about the opportunity to talk about the company in the future and where I fit. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel really good about the last year of my career here. I feel like I have, you know, done this work, which has led to these kinds of cost-cutting measures. I've done all of this that's led to, um, you know, new products being in the market or whatever it is that you're going out there and talking about the broader implications to the company and what matters to your boss. Then you're going to be more likely to get the boss to say, yeah. You tailored you tailored your facts. Um, you tailored your facts. There you go. It's exactly what you do. So has your stepson as a teenager tried to persuade mom and dad? How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> of course he does. Um, and you know what? He's very, very good at it. He is. Yeah, but he doesn't know who he's up against. You do this for a living. I do it for a living. But you know what I always say? I'm like a cobbler with bad shoes. <laughs> it's like I can tell anybody else how to do it. But in my own life, I sit there and I, yeah. you know, so people who are close to me probably be like, you're going to give advice on, you know, whatever I I I, I one day when I was still single in my late 30s, um, one of my first television hits was on Valentine's Day, and they labeled me a love expert because oh. I talked about. Wow. <laughs> you got her a love expert. <laughs> I was giving um, advice on how to give gifts that sent the right message because, uh-huh. you know, I'm a messaging person. That's what I do. <laughs> And they somehow, oh, I mean, my brother had such a field day talking about, like, Lee Carter, love expert, you're, you know, 36 and single or whatever. I was like, oh, this is so, so terrible. But my stepson is is absolutely, he's naturally empathetic. He Aww. is, he is, um, he's 15 and comes with all kinds of challenges, but he is very good at knowing who he's talking to and how to navigate. Um, so it's not just about getting what he wants, which he's very good at as well. I think a lot of kids are. But he... It's it's a skill that I think is going to serve him well in life, and I he's a natural people person. So so I, I guess that was my my second question. So if you're naturally empathetic or you try to be empathetic, does that mean you're more open to compromise? You're more of a people person, whereas you know it feels like we're in this world these days where it's just so divided. And if you don't have the middleman or, or mm-hmm. the person willing to come to the middle, you can't get anywhere. It's true. Now I think that people who are are people pleasers or um, might naturally be better at this than than others. But a lot of people ask me, can you teach empathy? Can you? Absolutely. Now, there are some people who are incapable of empathy, and those are like sociopaths and psychopaths, and let's put them to the side. Empathy comes naturally to all people, especially when you're with people you agree with. Where empathy does not come naturally is when you disagree with somebody. And that's when you have to start putting some tools into place and getting curious. And so I encourage people when you're in that place, when you're feeling triggered, because a lot of this stuff is you get triggered and that's what this is all about. When you're in a political discourse or debate, you're saying you know, somebody's telling you that supporting Trump makes you a racist or vice versa. You're now you're, you're, uh, your neck is up. Yep. You're triggered. You're going to have a really – you're not curious. You don't want to understand each other. You just want to yell louder. You don't want to You don't want to talk smarter. You want to talk louder and just right. get your point across, right? So I encourage people in those moments to slow down and ask three questions. First of all, why is the person as emotional – What are where are their emotions um, that they're having? What are their values? And what are their behaviors? So what are they doing? So um, let's take gun control as an example. When you're having a debate with somebody, now say you are a, a Second Amendment supporter and you don't believe that there should be stronger background checks and you don't believe that and you're having a conversation with somebody else. 
what you need to do when you're having that conversation with somebody who is saying, look, I'm going to take away guns and, and all of this. You need to say, why do they feel the way they do? Well, they're afraid. They're not bad people. They're not trying to do anything bad to you. They're afraid. They're afraid for their children who are afraid to go to school. They're afraid for people who go to the, the shopping malls and all of this is happening. They're afraid, and rightfully so. I don't... You, that's, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid every time I walk into like one of those big box stores. I Absolutely. think of what happens. And so rather than saying, you can't take away my guns, you should say, I understand that you're afraid. But you know what? I'm afraid too because I'm afraid you're going to take away my freedom. Now you can have or a Or my ability to defend myself. That's right. Then you can have a conversation. So the, that's the first thing is emotion. The second thing I say is get curious about their values. Now, most big decisions we have in our lives are rooted in a moral foundation. There's a thing called moral foundations theory, which is very academic. But the bottom line is it's rooted in some kind of a value. So gun control, if you're pro-gun control, generally your value is about liberty versus freedom. I have the right to bear arms. This is my freedom. If you're not, you know, if, if you say that I want stronger background checks or I want stronger gun control, your primary value you're really talking about is harm versus care. I have the right to be safe. Now, if you don't understand the other, you're not going to engage in a right conversation because you're going to say, it's my freedom. I have a right. The other person saying, but I have a right to be safe. Mm-hmm. If you're going to try and engage in persuasion, what you need to do is say, okay, yes, you have a right to bear arms, and yes, I have a right to be safe. Let's talk about how we can meet both those at the same time. It might involve compromise, but if you're only going to be talking, one person will be talking about freedom and one person is going to be talking about harm versus care, you're going to talk right over each other. Yeah, you're never, ever, anywhere. you're not going to get anywhere. And so that's, that's the other thing. And then the third thing I do is say understand why they do what they do, their behaviors. Once you do those three things, then you can start tailoring a message, and then you can start having a conversation, and then you can get somewhere. Mm-hmm. It might involve compromise. You might not get all the way to saying, you know what, everybody should be able to carry whatever weapon they want. It might involve saying, let's, let's talk about something like background checks. Let's talk about something like, you know, the red, red flag laws. I'd be okay with that as long as I had the right to bear arms. But – Otherwise, we're not going to get anywhere unless we start just slowing things down and really trying to understand each other. Let's talk about, you know, why do people support the president, right, when there's a lot of things that we don't like about him. There's a lot of things that people, you know, it, and, and the assumption by people on the, on the far left is that anybody who supports the president also endorses his tweets and other behaviors he has, and that's simply not the truth. So I encourage those people to try and slow down, understand the emotions, values and beliefs of the people who are supporting the president if you're trying to change their minds. And it just, it, it's going to have, we're going to have so many more productive conversations if we do that. We're going to understand why somebody might, res, you know, resonate with somebody else. Do you share examples in your book of when you specifically were able to effectively communicate and persuade someone else? Yeah, I do. The book is, um, it's rooted in a lot of different examples. There's a lot of corporate examples on how, you know, um, how companies can change hearts and minds. So whether it's around, you know, um, the financial crisis, a big bank trying to navigate um, how people felt about them after they took bailout money. Um, And so how did they rebuild their reputation? What it is that they needed to talk about? An auto manufacturer on how they had to rebuild reputation after um, a safety crisis. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of corporate examples, and then there's a lot of personal examples as well. I talk about my own career when um, I was in a place a few years ago where I was really I'm excited about my profession. I love what I do more than anything. I feel so, so blessed to get an opportunity to do what I do. Um, And we had a 360 review for the first time. What's that? Um, It's where everybody in the company gets a chance to tell you what they think about you and how you're doing. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Intimidating. It's very intimidating. And I I thought that I was friends with folks. I thought it was all going to be good. 
Um, you are a very nice person. Why would someone say something bad about you? It was. But they did. They did. It was the most humbling oh thing. Because at the time, I didn't realize I was a leader in the company as much as I was. I thought, okay. you know, we were, we were a small company. And people definitely thought I was a leader. And they looked up to me in many ways. And in other ways, they didn't. And so um, I had heard, I heard things like um, I used my looks to get business. I heard things like, I mean, some pretty, really, really tough things um, that I was maybe too too friendly and not boss-like enough um, with some of the folks. It was a devastating moment, and I had to decide, am I going to stay in this company and try to change perceptions, did or am you, I going to leave? Did you have an opportunity, as they were saying this to your face, I, I imagine, no. to respond? You just listened. It's, it wasn't to my face. Okay. You get... It's, it's all written down, and it was printed out and handed to me, and I had to process it. And my, my boss was amazing about the feedback and the process that I went through, but I took two days to think about it. Like, what do I do with this kind of information? Um, and what I decided was I love what I do, and I, I could almost see why people thought what they did. So, for example, this was, you know, pre-Me Too, so there, are, there, there was – I had some incidents with some clients who had tried to – um, hit on me in front of colleagues, and I had um, it became a joke. It came a running joke in the company that, oh, if there's a certain client like this, give it to Lee, you know. And I thought that was funny, and that was my way of managing dealing it. with it, dealing Absolutely. with it. It was disgusting, that. and it was terrible, and I struggled with it myself. It was horrible, and um, I mean, I had a client who asked me to go up to his mini bar right in front of, uh, you know, for a drink in his in, hotel room. In his hotel room, in front of. Are you a kidding colleague. me? But what I didn't realize – no, I'm not kidding. It was terrible. What I didn't realize by making a joke out of this, which is my way of managing it, I was sending a message that this is what I was doing. And people – and it got around. So I had to change perceptions. And I decided I wanted to stay. And I had the support of my boss and a few people at the company. And I just I, – I got up in front of everybody and said, listen, this is what I heard. And it's been devastating to me. I love what I do. I love you guys. And I'm committed to changing perceptions. I was also at the time, incidentally, trying to have – I was just in the beginning stages of trying to have my baby, and I had just had surgery. But when you're going through fertility issues, you don't tell people what you're doing. So you might be late for work. You might be missing work. You might. And so they took that being like I was slacking. I was like, no, I'm not slacking. I'm trying to have a baby. But nobody knew that. But when you told them, I'm sure you got their empathy. Exactly right. And so what I realized is I needed to look at why they believe what they did and the behaviors I had. And how could I turn them around? So I got up in front of everybody and I talked about it. Do you and think more companies should do 360 reviews? I do. I think if they do them, though, and this is something that we're very, very committed to as a company, and I'm very proud of this, is that when you get the feedback, and you're going to get tough feedback, that you have the support to help people turn it around. Because okay. the whole point of it has got to be to help people grow and develop. And that's what it's all about. And it undoubtedly helped me develop and grow and see things that I didn't see and undoubtedly helped others too. And so I do talk about this in more detail in the book, and that's something I think it would help a lot of other people go through this. Should we do 360 reviews as parents? Oh, boy. That's a really good question. Book number two, perhaps. I wonder what – I mean, I'm thinking about with teenagers, what do you do? It would be be an interesting dialogue. Are you definitely going to change the way you parent as a result of what your kids are telling you? No, but I bet you're going to learn some pretty interesting things. Yeah, what they think of when you think you're setting a good example or, or when you think you're, you know, guiding them the right way, how they're perceiving that. Oh, this is just mom or dad being annoying or, you know, I I, I struggle sometimes to, to get into their heads. 
What are they really? thinking? And then I hear stories. I mean, my kids are young, so I'm not I'm not really there yet. But I, I hear stories of, of the way kids fool their parents. How they just let them think that, you know, their Instagram pages are, you know, the, the fake Instagram page is oh, like yeah. totally clean and legit. But then there's that secret one that mom and dad, as tech savvy as mom and dad are these days, just don't know about or the list goes on. Yeah. You know? You know, I like the idea of having a 360 review with your kids used in the right way. I really do. That's an interesting idea. I think it's so important to be so in touch with what's going on with your kids because it is terrifying to think all of these things that you don't know that they're going through and you don't know what they're thinking and what they're feeling. And, you know, as a stepmom to a 15-year-old, right? That's tough. And and talking to his friends. You know, his friends will come over and they'll talk to us about what's going on in their lives. And you wonder, like, now, does he go over to his friend's parents and talk about us? Oh, boy. Right? (laughs) And what does he say if he does? Exactly. Um, But that's the other thing that's amazing about being a mom is the community of moms and how you learn from each other. So you've got friends who are just the next step above you or – or, you know, have kids just a little bit older that you're learning from. And we really come arm in arm and support each other. Like, Except for mom shaming, which happens here and there. I do have to say moms are oh. – and dads. It's like a parenting group. It is a very supportive uh, workplace, if you will. Let's talk because about breastfeeding. Some... Starts there. I know. It's unbelievable. I know. Do you exclusively pump? Or do you – like, have you given them any formula? And you're like <laughs> – you're a bad mother. Formula is a no-no. <laughs> what about that pacifier? <laughs> I have no idea. It's like you're you're four days in and you've already failed. You know, you're in tears. I know. And I know. It, that, is, that is a real thing. But you, you've got to learn to – in the book I talk about this too, about listening to your haters and knowing knowing when to take on what you're saying and knowing when to reject it. And I think the mom shaming is, is a thing that you've got to be like, you know what? I'm doing the best I can and know when to listen to it and know when to tune it We out. had Leslie Bruce on. Uh, she just came out with a book, and the name of the book is You Are a F-Word Awesome Mom. Mm. And it just resonates. It's just like put all that aside. You do you. You know your kids. You know who to ask for help, who's going to be your reality check, and then the rest is just noise. Uh, tell me more about the process of writing your book. Uh, okay. Writing a book is a labor of love, right? You've got to you've got to be really excited about the content and then you've got to have discipline just like anything else. So, I thankfully had um uh what what we call a writing coach. There's a lot of different ways that you can write a book. You can do it totally on your own. You can do a ghostwriter where somebody else will write it for you or there's this this model where you have a writing coach who can help you structure it, help you get it on paper help make sure that you're doing everything on time. So I had somebody who helped me, and that's the way I work best. Like, I do the same thing with the gym. I'm much better not with necessarily a trainer. with a trainer. <laughs> like, not that I, I can afford to have a trainer every day or every time I go to the gym, but somebody who can set things up for yeah. me so I know what I'm doing. And that's what I had. So she um, – the the process I went through, um, this, this book is based in large part on watching the 2015-2016 election cycle and being able to predict that President Trump won. Because he you did do that. He, yes, I did. So he, um, he engaged in persuasion. He had one master narrative, Make America Great Again. He was empathetic with his target audience, which was the Trump supporter. He listens to his haters for sure, but he rejects them when, it's not, when it doesn't serve his purpose. Um, there's a lot of things that he did very well. And I felt like it was really important to get the message out because people didn't understand what was happening in front of them. They didn't understand why Hillary Clinton lost and, and, and the president won. And I was like, well, what was Hillary Clinton's master narrative? People still can't tell you. Is it I'm with her? Is it you know? Right. So we it's it's a very different thing. So I was really excited about what we um, what we had to say, and I felt like it was really helpful. But I had this person who helped me structure the time 
and get it on paper. Um, I also did a lot of conversations that I recorded and transcribed that ended up, and that's ended up how. So the book ends up being very conversational and storytelling because a lot of it was. I, I read some of it. I have to say it was a very good read. Thank and you. And you even talking about it is is more interesting, honestly. Um, but I'm um, just some things I wanted to talk about you with. I wrote down because, and I'm pretty sure your perspective has now changed. When you're going to buy an item um, for your daughter, mm. you need to know that that is – and whether it's food, it's all the, the right ingredients, um, whether, you know, it, it's a car seat, that it's it's safe. What are companies or what should be companies be doing when, you know, you used to have, what was it, the, um, the good housekeeping seal of approval? Mm. You can't just slap that on an item anymore. You need to do more as a company in 2019. Um, are companies doing enough to respond to the modern consumer? You know, I don't think necessarily that they are. All are, and that's why you see some succeeding and some failing. I think some, that's why some new brands come up out of nowhere, and you're like, "Wow, that's really interesting." Why can like Zoe strollers suddenly become a stroller that you're looking at instead of these like proven yeah, names why? that are around forever? I think they get something that, um, and I would say it's almost empathetic marketing. They they understand it's a certain need. They understand the pain point. So when you watch them, it's like. Well, we're all about the one-handed fold, right? And you'll have the videos and you'll have <laughs> It's never that easy, by the way. It's never that easy, but you watch the videos <laughs> and then they get you on Instagram and they follow you where you are and they that pain point of they know what it's like when you're holding your baby and they're crying and you cannot get that stroller because yeah. it was promised a one-handed fold. Now you're going to buy this other one. But then they get other people to tell the story for them. They've got uh-huh. real moms who are doing it for you. They've got the, they, and they're marketing in the right way. So a lot of the legacy brands that have been trusted for so long are getting disrupted because they're not meeting us where we are and meeting our pain points and understanding the real problem that we're having. And if I can find a real mom who's going to show me how they can hold the baby that's crying and fold it in one hand and do yeah. it all and get it in the trunk and go, I'm going to buy that I, stroller. I kind of want to bottle you up, Lee Carter love expert, as being like Lee Carter life coach and just like have you come into my little world and just like fix it for me. Be like, Lauren? This is what you're doing wrong. The messaging is wrong here. And just like come in and like carve out like my new identity. I feel like I would just see things so much more clearly. All you need to do is slow down and get curious on why somebody feels the way they do and everything gets better. You're the best. Thank you for all the advice. And congratulations on the book and the baby. Thank you so much. We'll figure out another B for you soon. All right. Book, baby, and something else. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.